0: Thank you very much for reading that. Appreciate it. Um, There's a pretty nice Christmas tree up here, although there's a problem with these Christmas trees, and that is that there's no room for presents underneath these Christmas trees. That's a little bit of a problem. Uh, I think I have shared with some of you before, uh, but I grew up... Children, listen to this very carefully. You need to hear this. Um, I grew up without a Christmas tree. Now, I know um, maybe that's hard for some of you to imagine. Um, We never had a Christmas tree when I grew up. Um, Actually, I think, I I was starting to think about this, and I think that I may actually be in some pretty good company here. Um, uh, You may be making yourself a little bit vulnerable here, but I'd like to ask this question. Uh, How many of you grew up without a Christmas tree? Hey, look at that. I thought I would be in some pretty good company here. So um, I know it's very, very hard for you to imagine uh, that we, for the most part, those of us that raise our hands are still actually almost kind of normal um, with, you know, with having been deprived of something so very, very significant. Um, I actually think maybe we should start up some type of a social media group or something, you know. Um, All those who we were deprived of the joy of having a Christmas tree when we were kids, and we could rant about how that ruined our lives, and, uh, and on and on. Um, forgive me, that was, uh, that was tongue-in-cheek, very much so. Um, maybe I've said too much already. I didn't mean to hurt anybody with that comment. But really, we, we never had a Christmas tree. Uh, we actually never had TV either when I grew up. Um, believe it or not, we did actually have running water. And we did have a telephone. Um, and come to think of it, my dad did buy my mom a stereo for my mom's birthday one year. Uh, and it only cost him three days of silent treatment. Uh, I guess that's not what my mom was wishing for that year. Who knew? I hope my mom's not listening, by the way. <clears throat> uh, I grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, we did learn how to work We spent lots of time together as a family. We had lots of fun together. Uh, And big picture, I think I can say, I I did not feel cheated that we did not have some of the stuff that my friends did, uh, except during the NHL playoffs. I always felt a little bit cheated during the NHL playoffs that we didn't have an opportunity to watch uh, those games on TV. So just a little bit. But without digressing too far, let me come back to the Christmas tree thing. Um, See, I actually always thought... Uh, that this Christmas tree thing was kind of cruel. Uh, My friends would speak about their Christmas tree and the fact that their parents would put presents under the Christmas tree uh, and then they would have to wait uh, you know, sometimes those presents would be under the Christmas tree already up to a month before Christmas, and then they would have to look at these presents all the time, and they would have to wait and wait and wait and wait before finally their Christmas gathering day would come, and they would actually be able to open them. And I thought that's that was brutally cruel, you know, to your kids. It's almost like holding their favorite candy in front of them and saying, ah, 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 you can't have this. And then next day again see this? You can't have it. See this? Can't have it. And over and over and over, you have to look at this, this gift under the tree and recognize, realize, be told, maybe verbally, maybe not, maybe subtly, that you can't have it. You can't see what's inside. You have to keep on waiting. And I always thought that was rather cruel. I've kind of changed my mind on this a little bit. It may still have an element of cruelty to it, but I began to tell you last week a little bit about the meaning of Advent. Advent is a period of waiting. Waiting and anticipating. Wondering what it might be that the gift, or what uh, this gift might all and compass, waiting for something significant to come into your life that will significantly affect the trajectory of your life moving forward. With Advent, we try and identify a little bit with the people, I told you this last Sunday also, with the people that were living kind of between the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of this Messiah or Savior and the people that, or the time when Jesus was actually born. All the people living in between. All the people wondering what really is that gift that is being talked about. That gift that's going to come. That gift that's going to be presented to us. What is it really going to be about? Someone who's going to come and rescue them. Someone that was going to free them from their enemies. Someone that was going to restore them to a position of prominence. As in the days of King David, they had been told that this Savior was coming and then they had to wait and wait and wait and wonder what exactly would this look like when exactly was this going to happen and when it happened how exactly would it come out on come about on and on and on and on waiting wondering anticipating but not really knowing and not having permission to open the present that was sitting there under the tree. It's actually a pretty significant spiritual first Christmas truth packaged in our way of doing the Christmas tree and the presents under the Christmas tree. And at the same time, it's maybe a pretty comparative to the modern-day scenario for us Jesus followers who are also waiting, wondering, anticipating, Knowing a little bit, but so many things that we don't know exactly how they're going to be. Waiting for a Savior who will rescue us from the darkness of this world. Who will rescue us out of this weary world. For those of you that were here last Sunday morning. And all the while not knowing a lot of the exact details. What exactly it will look like. When exactly will it happen? And when it does happen, how is it all going to work itself out? How will Jesus be a savior and a judge all at the same time? How is it or how will it be good news of great joy for all people? How will it be peace on earth and goodwill to men? How will it be the redemption of Israel? Waiting... And wondering, trying to be ready, and in some ways starting to celebrate a little bit already without knowing exactly what we're celebrating. Last week we called it hope. It's a word for the first Advent Sunday. Peering into the darkness of our world, thinking that we see a faint light, a light that seems to be growing brighter and brighter and brighter. And we kind of landed on this phrase, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. We did focus a fair bit last Sunday morning on the weariness of our world. Many of us, individuals included, some of my last week would would speak to that. Tired of fighting against discouragement or against adversity, against sickness, against broken relationships, Tired of fighting against disunity and on the world stage against natural disasters and political strife and war and and genocide and racism and sexism and gender confusion and, and on and on and on. And in that realm, trying to get it right for ourselves and for our children and for others around us. It's weary, wearying. And the potential coming of Jesus was back then, and I argue in this life also, intended to bring hope to a weary world. That was last Sunday morning. This morning, I want to walk through with you what has come to be known as, it was already read, thank you Rhonda and Avery, um, as Zachariah's song in Luke chapter 1, 68 to 79. So I invite you to open up your Bibles, I'm not going to be reading all of it, but uh, we're pretty much going to be sitting there, and so you might want to reference some of what I say as we move along. Luke chapter 1, 68 to 79. The Advent candle of the second Sunday of Advent is called the faith candle. It's very closely related, actually, to the word hope. Um, in fact, I might kind of argue that we can't really have one without the other. Last Sunday, it was the hope candle. This Sunday it's the faith candle. One of the greatest explanations of the biblical meaning of the word faith is in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, and it uses both of those two words. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith and hope, they just go together, they they help to define each other. When you give the definition of one, you almost have to use the other word. And when you give the definition of that one, you almost need to use this word. They just kind of have to go together. And I want to highlight this morning how this faith is evidenced in Zechariah's song and Luke chapter 1, verse 68 to 79. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 11 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I'm going to say it like this. It's assurance without assurance. Trust without complete clarity. That's kind of what Zechariah professes here. And I want to highlight some of that. By the way, before we keep going too much talking about Zechariah, we need to quickly introduce you all to this man, Zechariah. Who is he? Luke chapter 1, so from... yeah. Beginning of the chapter, um, starting with verse 5, let me read just a little bit about this man, yeah, Zechariah. Zechariah. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. What do we know about Zachariah? Very quickly. Number one, he was a priest. Uh, Number two, he was married to somebody by the name of Elizabeth. She was also of the priestly line. So both Zachariah and Elizabeth were of the priestly heritage or line people. They were both upright in the sight of God. Very significant. Um, They had no children because they couldn't have children. And they were both getting along in years. It's pretty much the extent of what we know about Zechariah. Those are the details. Keep reading and you will see that Zechariah receives a a visit from an angel. And the angel promises that they are going to have a miracle child. And further, that this miracle child will become a significant, if we can say it like this, player uh, or actor, participant, in the coming of this promised Savior, the one that they've been waiting for for a long, long time. Now here's a significant factor. Zechariah is not given a lot more details about how this will exactly happen or when exactly this birth will happen or how soon after the birth of their son this promised Savior will come or how exactly their son will help prepare the way for the Savior. So he gets a few bare details but then there are lots of unknowns. Remember that. Take note of that. Bare details, and then lots and lots of unknowns. That is where faith comes in. When you know some, you know a bit, but not nearly everything, you need faith. Now, I want to give you a few observations about Zechariah's faith journey as he professes it here in these verses. Uh, 68, chapter 1, Luke 68 to 79. Um, verse 69, 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now, I don't know if you take note of the specific tense that he uses here. He has come and has redeemed and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. Those are faith statements because a very simple timeline here would tell you very quickly that Jesus has not yet come. He has not yet redeemed his people. He has not yet become the horn of salvation that has been raised up. But according to Zechariah, his faith allows him to say it has already happened. Back to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 11. Faith is the assurance. Actually, I think we're getting that wrong, right? Chapter 11 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. These are things that he firmly believes, even though he has not yet seen them in reality. Faith allows you to see as reality that which is yet going to happen. Second observation about Zechariah's faith journey. Faith says, whatever happens... And however it happens, we believe that this will serve the purpose of him in whom I have my faith. Check verses 74 to 75. Whatever happens will somehow help so that I can serve him better. Faith says this is not ultimately about me, but it is about the one in whom I have my faith. His will, His purposes, His plans, His ways, His kingdom's well-being and growth, Him, the one in whom my faith is. It is about Him, not about me. I've heard people make bold proclamations in faith, supposedly about healings and finances and blessings, claiming earthly victories, very focused on capturing this first characteristic of faith, proclaiming as reality that which I have not yet physically seen, being very sure of things hoped for, but strangely lacking in this second characteristic of faith, that whatever happens or doesn't happen is up to God. And that it is all ultimately about contributing to the purposes of God. Not Darren's. There's a third characteristic about faith here that I like. I'm going to say it like this. Faith is okay with leaving the unknowns in the hands of the one who knows. See, Zechariah here focuses on the things that he does know. And he leaves the rest in God's hands. When it comes to this big concept of faith, in, in the modern-day North American Christian world, I've certainly slipped into this temptation myself, I acknowledge. We often want to somehow be part of something that's kind of big and and, and, and eccentric and, and supernatural, kind of the you know, the kind of the God told me category and then come up with something kind of amazing and and everybody's going to be kind of mesmerized by this amazing thing that we come up with. And so we often feel like when it comes to prophecy, we need to kind of be a little bit out there. I was in a prayer and discerning meeting once with a variety of people from all kinds of backgrounds and after some prayer and discussion, one guy looks at another guy and he says, I didn't know this guy and he didn't know the guy that he was looking at and he just looked at this guy in the circle and he says, uh, do you own a truck? And the guy, and he was going to make some kind of a prophetic statement about this truck that the guy owned and the guy looked back at him and said, uh, no. Oh, well, well, you should own a truck. <laughs> and, and I go, um, and then he went on to give some kind of a unique out there kind of prophetic words of discernment I find that we humans tend to feel like real prophecy should kind of be this strange spiritual palm-reading exercise. Friends, can I say something? Faith is not strange. It's not strangely out there. Faith focuses on what we do know and then leaves the rest to the one in whom I have put my faith and trust. That's faith. Zechariah knows that the prophets in the Old Testament did say this Savior would be evidence of God's mercy. He says it here. That God would remember his oath to their father Abram, that this Savior would rescue them from their enemies. He also knows what the angel did tell him back in chapter 1, verses 13 to 17. And that's what he focuses on. Even here, when he gives his faith-inspired prophetic song, he focuses on what is reality. This son of mine will be called a prophet of the Most High, he says here in verse 76. But if you go back to what the angel told him, that's exactly what the angel told him, verse 15. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Here, Zechariah says he will lead people to experience forgiveness of their sins. Check verse 77. Back in verse 16, where, he's, where it says what the angel told him, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him, verse 76. Verse 17, he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Stick with what you do know. He does not elaborate elaborate beyond what the angel told him. This is what I do know. How exactly it's going to happen? I don't know. When exactly this will happen? I don't know. Where exactly this will happen? I don't know. Who will all be involved in making this happen? I don't know. There are many things that he does know. And it seems like he is okay with that. Here's what I do know. Here's what the angel did tell me. The rest, well, time will tell. And again, that is where faith comes in. Leave that to God. He's okay with carrying that. You don't have to predict it. You don't have to do some strange spiritual palm reading exercise and say all kinds of things that you really don't know. Leave that to God. I've seen too many teachers who thought they knew how to interpret into modern context all the unique prophecies of the Bible, and these verses mean this, and these verses mean that, and that obscure phrase in the Old Testament, well, let me tell you exactly what that means. When it comes to prophecy, stick with what you do know. There is far more than enough in here already that we do know that we don't need to try and make up and conjure up all kinds of unique things that we actually don't know. Focus on the things that you do know, like Zechariah does in his prophetic song that he gives us here. This is what I do know. This is what the angel did tell me. After that, I have faith in the God of heaven, and he will take care of that as he decides is appropriate and right. I like the conclusion of the song. Uh, Again, I think it tells us something significant about faith. If you check verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, he says something very similar in verse 72, to show mercy to our fathers. Whatever happens or doesn't happen, whether it is good or bad, understandable or not, whether it makes sense or it doesn't make sense, whether it is a gain for me or a loss for me. And remember, Zachariah has experienced both sides of this. Right now, he's together with Marshall on the mountaintop. But much of his journey has been, his faith journey has been in the valley. The life of Zechariah and Elizabeth is an example of this faith. This proclamation of his faith here is not just kind of a one-off. Much of their life was an exercise of their faith, journeying of their faith while they were in the valley. Much of their life, things did not make sense to them. They lived in a world where the inability to have children came with very significant stigma their world would have assumed that there was some kind of sin standing in the way as the reason why God had not decided to bless them with children. There were all kinds of unanswered questions in their faith journey. Despite all of those unanswered questions, they continued to hang on to their faith. Many years ago, a close friend of mine lost his wife to breast cancer. Here he was, a widower and a single dad to a three-year-old daughter. He was not yet 30 years old. One can only imagine how many unanswered questions there were for him. I found a little card that I delivered with a little plate of cookies that Pearl made. We were newly married at the time, and I actually had no idea how to do this support thing for grieving people. We had no experience, but we tried. Incidentally, I want to encourage all of you, don't wait until you think you've got it figured out to be a blessing to people when they're in the depths of a valley. Um, You'll never have it figured out. Try. Here, Zechariah knows what he is saying when he says, whatever does or does not happen, I am hanging on to the tender mercy of our God. Faith is what you hang on to by the way, I was going to tell you this little card that I delivered. Uh, the little card said, Faith is what you hang on to when you have nothing left to hang on to. Here, Zachariah knows exactly what he's saying when he says, Whatever does or does not happen, I am hanging on to the tender mercy of our God. Because faith is what you hang on to when you have nothing left to hang on to. Faith acknowledges complete dependence on the mercy of God. Where did we start? We started by saying something like this. You know some bare details, but there are lots and lots of unknowns. And I said, that is where faith comes in. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Many of you know this about my journey, maybe all of you. There is much less that I am completely convinced about now than 30 years ago. I know that this has been unnerving for some of you. It's been unnerving for me in the past also at times. But I want you to hear me because this is the amazing thing. I have found that this journey of knowing less has actually increased my faith in Jesus. Stick with me. I have found that this journey of knowing less has increased my faith in Jesus. It has decreased my faith in human answers. It has decreased my faith in knowing everything but it has increased my faith in Jesus. Zechariah concludes his song here with another strong statement. Zechariah's faith says, Someday we will know. Here and now there is so much that we don't know and that we don't understand. On so many different things humanity is living in darkness. Read the last few verses of his song here. We just don't get it. That's why we have faith. But someday that faith will be rewarded. When? Listen to what he says in these last few verses here. 78 to 79. Someday that faith will be rewarded. When? Because of the tender mercy of our God. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness. And in the shadow of of death. So much of what we do not understand or know or get has to do with the fact that we live in a world that is characterized by death. I have often mentioned this in the past. We live in the shadow of death. And while living in a world characterized by death, we are trying to understand a world characterized by life. And we just can't get it. And we just don't understand it well. Zechariah says, A light is coming from heaven that will shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. My friends, hang on to your faith. When things don't make sense, hang on to faith. When things do seem to make sense, hang on to your faith. Because someday your faith will be rewarded. I think it's fair to say that this business of not knowing, not understanding, not being able to put it all into a nice framework all the time, this this place, is often the tipping point for people in their spiritual journey or in their faith journey. From what I have seen, when people get to this place in their faith journey where it just doesn't all make sense, and I can't put it all into a proper framework, and I don't understand it, I have seen people basically pursue kind of three different options, and I want to quickly give them to you. I've seen all three of these happen in my world of people connections. Number one, it doesn't make sense to me, so I will throw everything out the window. I'm not saying that I don't believe in God anymore. I'm not saying that I do believe in God anymore. I don't know what I believe or don't believe, and I don't want to talk about it or think about it. Just leave it alone. There are categories within that group also. I recognize that. I'm just kind of making one lump sum or uh, statement here. Essentially, put faith out of the present picture because it doesn't make perfect sense to me anyways. so just get rid of it. Throw it out the window. One option. Another option, and many choose this. When things don't make sense to me, I find someone out there that has all the answers. They know They have a black and white answer for every one of my questions and they are very confident. So I will just go with that and I will let them tell me what to think and when to think it and how to think it. It's just much easier for me that way. And you essentially either put your faith in that person or you put your faith in the list of black and white answers that they have come up with. Many people's faith is in a theology Or a list of black and white answers. And essentially, like the first option, you put your faith elsewhere than in the God of heaven and his son Jesus. And then there's a third option. And I have seen many, many of my connections choose this option. You come to this point of realizing there is so much that I do not know and that I do not understand. And you admit that. And you find a way to say it. I don't know. I don't know nearly everything. There are lots of things still not totally clear to me. But I believe in Jesus. And I believe He has got this. And my faith is in the person of Jesus and not in a clear set of answers to all my questions. I want to say that again. My faith is in the person of Jesus and not in a clear set of answers to all of my questions. This Christmas, I encourage you to give this a little further thought. Is my faith truly in the person of Jesus, who came as a baby into this world almost 2,000 years ago, whose birth we will be celebrating in only a few weeks? Or is my faith in something else? Amen.